where I share musings and perspectives on how we really, truly live a life divine. I'm Julie Pyatt, your host. Thanks so much for joining me. So Justin Caffrey, my dear friend from Ireland, it's so great to have this opportunity to connect over the powerful medium of the podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time, dude. Thanks for inviting me. It's so nice. I'm Saturday evening sitting here and just being able to connect with you. It's fantastic. We think we're going on about a month of quarantine. Is it the same for you? We're even longer. So we're, yeah, we're kind of five weeks in now. We just had our quarantine extended to, I think it's the 5th of May now is our, is our new date. I want to talk about your and my connection and how we know each other and all that stuff. But just to announce sort of the subject of the podcast, I really wanted to take this opportunity to really talk and explore the economics and business implications that we're all finding ourselves in. And we don't really know where this is going. We don't have anything prepared, but we just wanted to have this very raw, honest conversation. So anyway, so Justin and I met actually on a Plant Power Italia retreat, and it was our Ireland trip that happened yeah, four years ago. It Has it been? Yeah, I um, can't remember, but it's been a while. We had a magnificent, magical, deep experience there in this just gorgeous manner. And you really are a spiritual brother, a dear, dear connection, and an amazing gift in your divine design because you carry this resonance of a male, you know, you're a man in this incarnation, obviously, but you have this very deep heart connection and also a lot of experience in very expressed business, like viable, successful business. And so I wanted to know if you could just share a little bit about your journey into connecting with your heart and being someone who is already and going to participate in establishing a sacred economics or a sacred business as we move into these more meaningful ways of exchanging currency currency and experiencing human life together. Wow. Sure. Could you share a little bit about that? Um, so I suppose I kind of see myself as a, a recovering capitalist. So I've been out there and ravaged my way through the banking world, investment banking, private equity, and all of that for the better part of 20 years. And that gave me a lot of tools and a lot of understanding of, of the macroeconomics. I'm, I'm a certified hedge fund and investment board participant and advisor. So I have a pretty good understanding of what I can see in the context of the, the global economic position and then in the context of how I feel. So from an open heart perspective, I've kind of come a long way from there to here, whereas now I'm a, a student of Buddha, an active, constant practitioner of, of loving kindness and 
connection into yourself. And I think that capacity to understand ourselves is so important right now in these times because we almost have to become our own leader. We have to find that own our, our own sense of leadership to bring us out of this darkness and then we can help others. And for me, my moment where that came about or my awakening was coming to terms with losing my child, losing my son, Joshua, and not probably not coming to terms with it straight away, but going through post-traumatic stress and then having a, a panic attack in a really important meeting and ignoring it and pushing away all of those real connections to the feminine, to, to the deep heart sense of who you are. And then eventually the universe just putting me to a point where I had to stop and slow down and connect in. And, and that time gave me a capacity to understand who I am. And of course, then you reflect back and you think, well, it wasn't just that time. There's many other times in our lives the universe is speaking to us and asking us to, to maybe pay attention or be more reflective on the path that we're on. And this is a path now that I've been on for the past six years and very much led me to, to be with you guys in the Planned Power Retreat in, in Ireland, which is a great connection of, of like-minded people. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's really important that we understand that in, in order to become masters of anything, we have to have experienced all sides. And, you know, the fact that you come from that world and that you lived and breathed and experienced, you know, I, I love the term, you know, recovering, recovering from the patriarchal business system is a wonderful place to be because you really understand how that works and maybe can be somebody that can see new ways of how we can interact with that in order to catalyze more expanded experiences, more meaning experiences, and, and really use money or use business or use energy, which really rules so much of our planet to be funneled into movements and products and experiences that can truly change the way that the planet is experiencing life. You know, when we have these sacred moments, you know, this profound sacred moment of your child's transition point from this life, and we can catalyze or use these experiences for our own expansion, and we can choose not to waste them, not to miss the experience, the opportunity you know, we consider our roles. What are our divine roles with each other? And what roles have we raised our hands and said, okay, I'll play that thread. Because during a moment like this, which is unprecedented in my lifetime, certainly in my parents' lifetime, I would say that we're being provided this opportunity. So again, it's like we can't control the fact that there's a lot of things that are happening that are beyond our control. But I think during this time when you were talking about that we have to become sort of our own authority, I call it owning your own authority. And literally, we're shifting from this intellectual power of running the planet, like we can think our way out of it or intellectualize or pontificate or judge and criticize this view or that view or this view. I think at the end of the day, the greater awareness is it comes down to what is in alignment for you. And are you able to connect to really who you are? What is meaningful to you? What are the gifts, treasures, experiences that you took this body to explore, to discover, to experience? And in what ways are you not owning your own energetic awareness? I think that this is a moment of activating heart resonance where we can feel when we 
enter into a lot of these practices like meditation or mindfulness or tea ceremony or breathing, all of these type of practices, it's a feeling tone that is becoming our guide, clearing the intellectual mental chatter out of your head and coming into the feeling awareness. And owning your own authority is really a key skill and requirement of this moment. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think we can be drawn into this whole idea of trying to think our way out of this problem. And so many times in your life, a difficult moment arrives. And this is one of the most difficult moments that I, that I hope any of us will ever have to face. And because it's on, on a scale, it's, it's catastrophic in the context of its impact on the world. But equally, for its impact on each individual, it's not a storm that you can change. So you have to just choose to take shelter. And when we take shelter, we must move away from this idea of trying to logically plan my way out of it. Because the deep connection that you have, both in the context of you, your family, and your business, or your job, or your employment, all of these things will unfold. But when you take the time to really slow down and understand yourself at this moment, it's so important. And we hear all this talk about the world has slowed down, but I see a lot of people who haven't really slowed down. It's, you know, take the time now, exactly as you say, step into meditation, mindfulness, tea ceremony. Just reminded me when you were saying that you and I were in Italy in Damanhur in, in January, and we went out for this walk, I think on the penultimate day. I can't remember how long we were there, a few hours walking in the mountain, but we just slowed down, kind of talked a bit, and we were able to just walk in silence and just have that deeper connection. And I think that's what is needed for so many people right now. We literally were in the epicenter and we missed the entire corona appearance by just yeah. a week or something like that. And, you know, we spent a day in nature and it, it was just this most magical fairy experience, the most beautiful light and fractals and clean water, the rushing water and the stones with all the beautiful formations. And it was a beautiful sunny day. And we saw some local people that live there in the mountains, some snow. And it was just truly one of the most special days that I can remember in recent memory being out in nature. But I feel like when we first knew we were going to be in quarantine, I think one of the natural sort of tendencies is like, okay, I'm going to get a lot of shit done. Like, what can I do? So, you know, I'm thinking, I'm going to finish my book. I'm going to write an album. You know, my son's like, I'm writing an album. Rich is like, I'm going to do 9 million podcasts. You know, we were all sort of just, you know, really getting to what we were going to do. My daughter, Math, has set up a screen printing factory in the garage. And then we all did that for maybe about a week. And then we just all sort of met in the kitchen. And we were like, we don't feel like doing that. Like, we actually don't <laughs> feel like doing that. And and I think it was, you know, it was sort of like the, the human desire to want to put some structure to what's happening. And then we all just sort of relaxed into the greater Ayurvedic opportunity. And I was talking to Jennifer Ayers, who I'm actually also going to be doing some podcasting with. She's such a treasure. If you're in the rescue yeah. <laughs> spaceship, like you want her in the control center, like she's just, she's like designed for like emergency situations. And she was um, the first sort of head educator with Dr. Vasant Lad, who is really the father of Ayurveda, which is the Eastern Indian science of medicine that is connected to nature. And so the whole time I'm really feeling Jen, you know, just talking about slowing down and reading the energy and taking the opportunity to rest. I mean, when is the last time that any of us just yeah. took a nap? 
and so the beauty of all this time of five weeks of being in quarantine is that you know, in my situation, two hour talks with my sons, you know, uh, two hour tea ceremonies twice a day, there was a time I was tired, and I took some naps, I was kind of like, wow, this is so novel, I haven't taken a nap wow. since I, I before I had children. Nearly, <laughs> probably every day for the last few weeks, honestly, like just for like 20 minutes or whatever, because you just can and you're just kind of navigating the, the house. And for me, I'm, I'm on business calls or I'm, I'm working with clients. So I'm still busy, but I just want to then just allow my body to rest because the complexity of what's going on in the world at the moment is intense. And I think it's just, if you feel like sleeping, sleep, rest, recover, do less to accomplish more, you know, slow down. Yeah, there's this tantric practice and the, the prescription is that you're supposed to go to a cabin and you're prescribed two weeks of sleep. And you're not allowed to take any computer, any books, any writing, anything. You just have minimal food. Of course, I've <laughs> never done this. Let me just disclaimer, I've never done this. But the tantric prescription is no, all you do is go sleep and that's it. It's different than Vipassana, than, which is like a silent, you know, 10 day meditation every day. This is just like, no, 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 just sleep. Just let your body sleep. What's prescribed about it is in the beginning, your body is just fighting every single ounce of what's going on. And then pretty soon you just sleep for 10 hours a day, you know, or more. And when you think of the accumulation of the healing that the body can ignite in this level of rest, it's like we've been living our lifetimes in this modern world of just burning the candle at both ends and just the amount of activity and external focus. One of the great, great treasures of this time is this ability to allow your body to rest. And I really feel strongly that we should take advantage of it because there will come a moment when things go back or things emerge in a new way, hopefully. And I've been finding after I got a wave of rest, then now I'm waking up at 3.30, 4 in the morning, having the opportunity to really sit deep in meditation and that's a whole other journey yeah. as well. You know, if you want to meditate, you need to rest because otherwise it's kind of counterproductive. It's very hard to meditate when you're tired. But also when we rest, when we sleep, we allow the immune system to, to recover, you know, and then we're building in other practices, whether it's mindfulness or meditation, then we're adapting the autonomic nervous system to move into that parasympathetic state that rest and recover state where we are firing on all cylinders we know we have brought the best capacity of ourselves to be awake and alive and capable of facing into the challenges if we do unfortunately encounter this dreaded virus so there are things that we can do for ourselves in those simple practices of just slowing down yes definitely and i really feel that largely there's so many gifts you know first of all my family's all back home so my nuclear or my community is nice. reignited <laughs> and they've actually moved home you know they decided mom you know we're just kind of done living in the city we're going to come home we're going to live as a family so we've had all these family dinners and game nights and my young daughter youngest daughter who's basically been living here with just one adult off and on because our 
other daughter was going to art school in another location. Suddenly she's got her brothers and sisters home. And it's like the laughter at the dinner table last night. I was just like, thank God, because she's had a very different teenage years compared to the other kids because we always had so many people here. So just that has been amazing. And um, while it's been very, very challenging for my 16-year-old to be out of art school and doing online classes after about a week of being the wild stallion, just completely losing it, you know, she asked me to be in her experimental film and we went down in the rain and I like bathed in a freezing stream for her and like start in her film, which she would never have even asked me to be in the movie. (laughs) And then we walked back just in the mud and the rain and it's a moment I'll never forget. And before then, all she was doing was running away from me, like running away from us, Ubering wherever they could. And, you know, I do feel for them. I feel for the teenage community in our world because the social interaction is so important and especially for her because it's so social. But again, it's like she's she's experiencing greater health, greater connection to the family. We live in a very beautiful area of nature like you do as well. And in addition, just the connectedness mm. online, the amazing community that we're a part of, the people, you know, many of you that are listening to this podcast, I mean, our hearts are overflowing with love and connection for each other. And so um, this has been a very beautiful drawing together, although around something that's you know very yeah, intense i agree and i think if you look at Martha's age and, and her kind of peer group i think for those kind of middle teens it is the most challenging but like everything people have resistance to the whole idea of you know sequestering and, and having to be at home but everybody starts to adapt and now that we've spent time i think people are realizing that there's a better opportunity to connect and so much of what we've experienced since the last recession has been this drive and determination to work harder and build more and buy more things and consume and and travel and push boundaries so hard and so fast and the net result is that things were falling apart and Reminds me again, when we, when we walked to the mountains in Italy, we came across, remember that village we came across where everybody had left because they all live in the cities now. It just kind of shows what's happened in society. We've yeah. all moved to these mega cities now and left nature. Yeah, and it's it's literally like the most beautiful village and it was completely empty. But of these gorgeous stone houses on the edge of this beautiful stream with these gorgeous mountainscapes. Like you and I wanted to move in. We were like, <laughs> you know. How do we stay here? Yeah, it's really amazing. I mean, the other thing that that is interesting from this time is it, it really harkens, Rich and I really feel, you know, a resonance with this moment to the time period of our lives where we went through financial collapse over a seven, really nine year period. And in a way, like we're trained for this because we've gone through losing everything. We've had the, the fear of money burned out of us because we were down to a potato like so many times and what we were shown and I want to share this with people is that the universe always provides there is always an alternate solution there is another pathway that opens up there is the generosity of humans 
You know, I think as a collective, we need to learn how to receive. In the Western or modern world, I think we have a hardness or a pride or an ego around our attachment to money and our ability to handle things in a certain way. And, you know, sometimes life happens to us in different ways, of course, in loss or death or illness or divorce or financial collapse or natural calamity or viral pandemic. And we must learn generosity. We must learn to be generous and we must learn to receive generosity, which is just as important. I'm a new business owner. I just launched Shrimu, plant-based artisanal cheeses. It's a beautiful high-end subscription-based offering. And uh, we had an amazing launch, over a thousand subscriptions. I've gathered all this information and I've been in this exploration of the next stage, the next raise for Shrimu. And so I was in the middle of formulating my next raise when all of this stuff happened. So we've luckily been able to keep everybody employed. We immediately took out all the non-essentials. We have a very core crew that is sequestering together. And so we are still producing and still shipping, which is amazing. But anyway, what is your advice? How have you been being the business energy that you are, the, the person that really lives in this world? How are you? How is the climate? What advice would you give us businesses that are experiencing this constriction during um, this time? Yeah, I think especially for businesses, I suppose, talking to the funding side. So one of the great challenges right now, I think, for a lot of businesses who may have been working over the last two or three years through this incredibly vibrant economic period, whether that's in the US or, or Europe or globally. And within that vibrant economic period, there has been a huge amount of liquidity available. You know, global interest rates have been and remained at all time low rates since the last recession, which has given private equity investors and banks and hedge funds huge amounts of capital to put into play in the markets. And as such, those capitals have then been brought forward to invest into businesses. So a lot of people have been on on that treadmill and the capital has been cut you know we're, we're inside a funding crunch so we're moving into this next phase now where banks will be fearful in the context of what they do despite what they're being told by governments and private investors are desperately trying to get hold of cash as well so there's been some really strange things in the markets especially two weeks ago where we saw equity markets selling off and the price of gold falling at the same time and those two things usually operate in the opposite of position so gold will normally rise as equity markets sell what happened is we arrived at this point where everybody just believed this will go on forever. So people had no access to liquidity. So they had a lot of structured type investments or they had committed funding lines to new businesses like Shrimu. And now that money was unavailable for them to call back. And they were being called on in other positions to put money forward, maybe to pay off some other credit lines. So everybody got caught off guard, like everybody, all financial institutions, hedge funds, governments, sovereign wealth funds, and everybody just started selling everything really quickly with a desperate need to try and get hold of some form of liquidity. And that has meant that we're now in a situation where nobody wants to put money on the table for anything that's remotely unusual. So for those people who are trying to get hold of funds, if you have got access to credit lines, if you have got access to your bank or your credit lines or private investors who are committing to put money in, you need to draw them down or at least get all the legals completed so that you've got access to liquidity. Because although we're seeing some positive news and seeing the White House talking positively yesterday, 
There's a lot of belief, and I ascribe to this view that we're in this more W-shaped recovery where we had a great week last week and the markets have done really well. And, you know, President Trump is talking up the, the wonder of all that. But actually, we don't really understand yet what are the real consequences? How many people, unfortunately, have lost their jobs? How many consumers are no longer going to spend? So now is a really important time to strategize in the context of liquidity. Get access to as much cash as you can within your business so that you've got a capacity to trade and then build a plan, which is week by week plan. And then have your kind of three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, and really build your baseline in as the coronavirus issue is still with us till September, October. You know, we may have brought certain amounts of the population back, but there's still issues in the context of, of social distancing, etc. So really get your worst baseline and then build back from that. So cash flow is going to be so important right now. And I, I lived in private equity and in private equity, our job is to find all the people who run out of cash so that we can swoop in and steal their business. So you don't want your business to be taken by somebody else because it's an opportune moment. You must protect yourself. So how do you see the governmental programs also that are being um, offered? I mean, I don't know how it is in Ireland and you know, I know it differs in the US, but in the US we have something called the CARE Act. And so you know, most people that I know that have businesses, we've been filing and they're offering some assistance. You know, how do you see that helping or being a, something that provides at least some kind of foundation in, in the uncertain I think it's really few important. Months? But my concern is how real is it in the context of it actually being there for those people who need it? I saw a report on Bloomberg this morning from a lady who's trying to file for benefit payment. And I think she said she was on her 250th effort to try and file online. And she'd started to try and file at one o'clock in the morning to see if it was quieter. So I think there's, there's a huge pent up demand for people to access it. If you look at the money that the Fed has put forward, you know, mm. $2 trillion, which when they leverage it is probably $6 trillion. But in the context of the amount of money that's been on offer, it's very much an expectation that this is a short-term issue. But when you look at what we're talking about and we look at where you know US states are being impacted and, and how okay, the West Coast and the East Coast have been impacted, but as the center starts to be brought in and the South starts to get brought in, we're going to be longer going through this. So I think there's a lot more money that's going to be needed to support people and rightly so because it's not anybody's fault that they're in this situation. You know, if you look back to the financial crisis, you can say, well, you know, banks brought a lot of this on all of us. But at this point, where we are right now, okay, we can question the, the international government's response to it all. But access to money is critical. And I think we're going to see greater pressure being put on governments to bring forward greater access. When I read the reports in the financial papers about Democrats' impact on, on the Republicans at the moment in the US to try and make sure that that money comes down the line to the small business owners, to the people who need it, who, who've been laid off, who don't have a job anymore, because it's very easy in a time of crisis like this when there's trillions of dollars being put in place that it washes straight through to the big corporations and the wealthy. Mm -hmm. Very, very much so. And we've never talked about this, but what are your perspectives or opinions on like cryptocurrencies or other ways of exchange? Crypto was being sold pre this crisis as this new type of asset that you could hold that would be uncorrelated when there would be another financial crisis. So people wanted to hype it to the point where it's the new gold or 
you could have it as some kind of sovereign debt holding. So to go back to what you said about diversification, people who have 401ks will generally have a diversified portfolio inside their, their investment funds. And you would look to have things in there that don't move in the same way as everything else in the market when there's a crash. But crypto didn't work out like that. So crypto got hit really, really hard. And again, it just became another victim of everybody looking for liquidity because when it comes down to it, people just wanted to have dollars cash in their bank. So crypto suffered. I think it has got a place and I think it's got a future. And often when we come through such a big crisis like this, a big financial crisis, we may see some leveling out and we may get to see which of the cryptocurrencies are actually viable longer term. But the challenge right now is that there are these what they call crypto whales. These individuals or institutions that hold huge swathes of it. And if they come under pressure and sell, they destabilize the market. So it's the big market in the context of how the average person sees it. But in the context of it as a global currency, it's tiny. So there's volatility, extreme volatility to get into it. So it's trying to decide where to invest at the moment is difficult. And what we've seen in the financial market in the last four days with the S&P and the Dow doing so well, and also the European indices doing, doing really well, it can often bring private investors in thinking, oh, when the markets have risen massively, they're still off 20% to where they were before the crisis, I should get in now, maybe I can make some money. And you have to be so careful because Markets rise then because people feel like they're missing the boat and they all start piling in and crypto is starting to do exactly the same and people feel it's rising and, they, and they're going to start piling in. When we get to understand what's called the profit to earning ratio, the P ratio, which is if you hold shares in a company, how much is that company going to be able to pay me in a year's time in dividend? Then we'll start to understand the real value of businesses in the S&P and the Dow. We don't know that yet. So for professional investors, that's a really key point and a real reason why a lot of people are holding back. So while the professionals hold back, the amateurs often rush in and buy crypto or buy whatever companies they see at the moment. They think, oh, well, you know, maybe I should buy some stock in the airlines because they're decimated and then they'll come back. But professional investors are saying, hold on a second, if this goes on for a month, then we can kind of see how this works out and how much money they can make. But if it goes on for two months, three months, or if it's six months, and if we end up with people going back in planes, but only the planes having a capacity to hold 50% of the people who are on there because we have to socially distance more on planes, then that has a big impact on earnings across all industries. So then we understand the real price. So that's why we have this W shape, which is the concerning part that as we rise back up and it looks like the financial markets are recovering, there's another dip as well. So it's very difficult to be speculative in the context of the short term. And what you have to really think about is what money do I have that I can risk? So it's kind of like arriving at a casino right now and saying, how much am I willing to just risk at this moment because this is a precarious moment where you could be okay and we don't see this w dip or you could be wrong and you now lose what you need for liquidity in your own home or your business so you've got to proceed with caution wow that's amazing it's feeling like it really is a very intense situation that we're all sitting in so now i'm going to ask you to shift hats now talk to me as a practitioner of buddhism how do you experience the financial climate on planet Earth right so, now? So that's a very different energy. And I think in the context of what I see and how I feel about what's going on right now is that it is an opportunity to shift the way that we see the world financially. 
And I think a lot of people have have kind of moved to that phase. We got to this point where there was a lot of animosity from the commercial world, the banking world, the finance world towards a green agenda, towards all the great work that we'd seen Greta Thunberg doing. And everybody was just awash with, oh, I'm either on that side of the fence or I'm on this side of the fence. I think there's an acceptance now for the first time ever that we need to have better social justice in the context of what people do and how they're rewarded for what they do. So cleaners in hospitals and nurses on the front line, you know, low paid workers who are facing straight into this virus. And I've really seen this and I've been on some incredible calls with a couple of hedge funds and a private bank. And I've never sensed hawkish capitalists understand the world more than I've sensed it right now. And I can think back to 2008. I mean, really, for me, I saw the financial crisis start in August 2007. And back then it was, you know, let's just try and get as much cash as we can right out the storm. And then when we get through this, we'll make a fortune. But the whole sense of our humanity has been brought into question. Our capacity to survive this is not based on how much money we have. It's not even based on our occupation Mm -hmm. and it's not even based on where we live. It is just based on being human and seeing, can we get through this? And that's a huge shift for a lot of people. It's massive. It's like all of the frontline workers, all of those people that are in service industries that are showing up, that are risking infection, you know, they are the heroes. They are the saviors of this moment for sure. And for me, we're here on the eve of Easter Sunday, which is happening tomorrow. This is the embodiment of what was activated in 2012 when the new age was ushered in and a lot of naysayers were like, oh, nothing happened. Well, no, something did happen. And a new frequency was anchored. It's taken seven years for it to really come into fruition. And in my awareness, we are on the cusp of the beginning of the new earth. At least for some groups of people, we are going to be the ones that are creating new ways of being and living, expanding our capacity to express more love, more connection, more meaning in our lives. I have gotten a lot of expansion via dark experiences, and everybody might not be sort of oriented this way, but it's been of great value to me, as I know it has been to you as well. And so as we emerge, you know, again, it's like in every single moment, there are unlimited opportunities for expansion. And so if you fixate on the news too much and you want to grasp to a reality and say, well, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. This is the way it is. You're participating in creating that into coming into fruition. And I think that the great mystic work, the great meditator work is to hold the space for the potential of something miraculous. And so right now we all incarnated to walk through this and this is the moment There is no map. There is a lot of uncertainty. And so being able to really anchor with the core of your soul. And what I mean is beyond any structure, any religion, any ism, any guru, anything. I'm talking about looking at yourself in the mirror, meditating with yourself and knowing who you are. That is the greatest gift that you could give humanity at this moment. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think it's funny, just as you're talking, I'm reflecting on on the kind of energy that we need to be moving into to get through this and not only to get through it, but to come out a different person, a different being, you know, a truly connected sense of self that we have an opportunity to find. And, and that energy is especially for men and it's not a male energy and a lot of the times in crisis you look for this male energy which is just you know where is the thing that i need to fight right now the battle that i need to wage and you know we see leaders talking about waging a war on a virus which is just hilarious for us as individuals when we sequester when we eat good whole foods when we slow down when we cuddle up when we snuggle under a blanket when we meditate when we are mindful it's a way more feminine energy that we move towards and so much of the problems that we've brought ourselves to in the world are through this domineering aggressive masculine energy it reminds me all the time of that buddhist saying that when the student is ready so too is the teacher And now we all have this opportunity to be our own students. And as you say, you don't need an ism. You don't need need anything. You know, you need your own space and your own capacity to sit with yourself. And in in olden times, in Eastern philosophy and, and also in Ireland, in villages when people suffered with depression and they struggled to cope with life, they would be allowed to go and spend time and sleep and their children would be taken into care from the rest of the community because we've known instinctively that to heal ourselves, we have to slow down and we have to rest and the world needs to be healed, but we as individuals have an opportunity to do it. And that energy is is so contrary to anything else that we've ever felt before there is no battle for us to do with anything right now because we just need to let this time pass and for the world to emerge into whatever it will be so during that time being able to have that capacity to be with ourselves and to nurture ourselves and nourish ourselves is such a great thing but it's a different energy it's a different way of feeling i would say also that it's important to just note that the feminine energy it is a magnetic frequency. And so when you're meditating, when you're dropping into that space, you're cultivating a magnetic field around you that is becoming resonant with your deepest heart's desires. And so consider it that you're being invited to not, you know, we call it no more heavy lifting. Like you don't have to drag the bricks up in the mountain. Drop into who you are because we live in a culture that is so, you know, we've been serving the money God. Money is driving everything. I mean, that's why we let 160 million children starve to death every year and nobody even notices. But when we understand you are not your credit score, that is not your value. You are much more than your credit score. (laughs) You are beyond anything you ever imagined and it has nothing to do with money. And when you choose your divine exit, you don't take your credit score with you or your bank account or your accomplishments in the finance world. You take your evolution, your level of awareness. That is the greatest treasure. This is earth school. This is a realm that provides a lot of constriction. It's not an easy life for many, many, many humans. And I would say even if you have it easy financially, well, then you'll be visited by death, which you've experienced firsthand. It doesn't discriminate. It'll, It'll come knocking for you however it comes. And again, just recognizing all the beautiful, magnificent human family who have chosen their exit during this time. That is my choice of perception. I choose to see them in their power, in their divinity. So I am choosing that versus that they are a casualty of a war, a casualty of a virus. 
that is the way that I honor them. And that is what we can all do. We can hold them in their highest essence. Totally. I mean, that's just so beautiful. It's, it's that awareness of love and our capacity to just to understand it reminds me of, you know, George Harrison and um, this documentary about George Harrison on Netflix. And he's talking about his preparation all the way through his life to to be ready for that moment when he dies. And, and it's that essence of when you lose your fear of death, you have the capacity to truly live your life rather than, than living in the fear. But somebody broke into his house and they attacked him. And he ended up being attacked by this intruder and he was down on the ground in the hall of his house being choked to death. And he was really angry and frustrated because this wasn't how he intended to pass. But he eventually realized, well, okay, I'm just going to have to let go. And if this is how it's going to be, then I'm going to just sense into my compassion for myself and humanity and, and allow myself to leave this body and move on to my next form. And just when he'd moved to that point, his wife recovered in a position to be able to to knock the intruder off him and he survived and, and, and subsequently died later on. But what comes in the context of death in our lives is, is so unknown, whether it's ourselves or people that we love. So just being able to connect into the deep compassion of love that we can have for ourselves and for our families and using this time to really foster the deepest most beautiful connections we can have and to understand that life is is fragile in the blink of an eye it'll change and i found that when i lost joshua you just don't know what's going to happen next and i had money and power and success and all of those things 10 years ago when that happened but it has no value in the context of missing the time that you can have with your loved ones can you tell us what are the gifts that joshua's exit has have brought you in your relationship with Beatrice and with Luca and just in life in general and in your own soul, your own spirituality? Well, I always, I really believe that Joshua was sent to me as my most important teacher because at, at other times preceding his death, preceding his life, I do believe that there were many times when I was being offered signs I, I wasn't particularly paying enough attention to. And I think the universe comes along and prods and pokes you when you kind of go, well, maybe I should be listening more to that, but actually I'm going to go with my head here and not how I feel in my heart. And it kind of eventually gets so fed up that it comes and deals you something pretty hard and heavy that you've got no opportunity other than to pay attention to it when he died it's a very dark place but i have the fondest of memories in the context of of the time that we had with him he lived just shy of a year but his passing made me realize that when i'm dead when my moment has come and, and i pass to whatever my next existence shall be how will i be remembered you know who's going to be there Who's going to be around the bed when I'm drawing my last few breaths? You know, is it at that stage when, when Joshua died and I'd built another investment firm and I had shareholders and boards of directors and, and all these people who appear in our lives as, as friends, but actually really it's a binary transaction. They need something from you in return for your time and their time. So who was going to be there around my bed? And I realized it isn't any of those people and it isn't actually even a lot of my inverted comma friends. I started then really pair it all back and think what's, what's really important? And then you realize, well, Luca will hopefully be there and, and Beatrice will hopefully be there. So the most important lesson I learned was I need to be a better dad. I need to be, and I wasn't a bad father to Luke at this stage. He was he was four years old when, when Joshua died. 
but I really knew that time was in such short supply. And I really always have a great sense of time as I think the time we spend on this earth is such a short period of time. So I needed to become the best I could in the context of a father, a husband, but I also needed to be a better human to myself. And that was definitely where I lacked massively. I was kind of raging against the machine for a lot of my time on the planet. And you find a lot of people who are successful in that material context, there is a a darker past that's driving them to be this different person. But when I go back past 18, 17, 16, 15, I find this very empathetic, very spiritual, very caring teenager. And then you go back and you find this younger child. And what I learned from Joshua was that I can go back in the context of reconnecting those dots and bringing myself back to my most compassionate and empathetic version that I'd thrown away because I thought I need to be in this killer killed world and then bring that version of me right back into the present so that it could then be here as a guardian to my human self and also to allow me then to be the best dad and and the best husband that I can be. And I think when we all, you know, try and figure out what, what we're all trying to achieve, in the end, when we're, when we're judged, it's only the people who, who really care about us. And I think we did this exercise, I think, on, on one of the retreats as well, where you actually sit down and, and try and write your own eulogy and see who's going to write it and then think about what would they actually say about you. And then when you've written that, then kind of take a bit of time to think, well, what could I adapt and change in my life so that it's really how I want to be remembered. And I think it's just that deep connection. That's what Joshua gave me. You know, his his death brought so much life to my family and his spirit just continues on with us so much. He's always there and I'm, I always get to talk about him. And I love that old Egyptian saying that, you know, you die to that death. The first one, when you draw your last breath and the next one, when somebody speaks your name for the last time. So we always keep him alive in our thoughts and our minds and, mm. and in our writings and our connections and TV and media. Whenever we talk anywhere, we get to keep him alive. So he's, he is my most truest guide and the wisest of all guides. And he only lived for 11 mm. months. Oh, so beautiful. And you, all of you have done uh, such a beautiful devotional job or offering of, of really, really going deep and really dedicating his life into your expansion. And you, you know, shows in all areas of your life. And I'm just so grateful that you're alive on planet Earth. I love that experience of you going back to your childhood and accessing that energy in yourself. Uh, and I want to just remind people that if you're if you're lost and you're not connected to yourself, there are great treasures that are in your six-year-old self. You're six, seven, eight, 10, yeah. 12. Go back and find out who you are and feel that and bring it forward because that's when you were pure before you were separated, before you got any idea that you had to be different than what you were. So that's so, so powerful. So um, I just want to ask you one other question. Are you afraid? Am I afraid? From a personal standpoint, no, I'm not afraid. My only sense of fear would be, you know, losing people that I care dearly about. Um, And I know this might sound strange, but I lost my son and I realized I can still carry on. And I think when we look at the wars that the world has seen and we look at the great catastrophes that we've seen, we must remember that even in the darkest moments, even if we lose those closest to us, we still have 
the capacity to retain our own sovereignty, our own capacity to be whole, to be caring, to be social, to be there for others. So I think, I think fear is something that, yes, it can stir up at times and I notice it, but I notice it and then I let it just drop back down again because it will consume if you allow it. So I see it as a reminder mm -hmm. to make sure that I use this time to really invest into me and my family and back to that nourishing and caring sense of what we can do for ourselves. But I won't allow it to consume me because no matter what the universe deals me or whatever the coronavirus deals me or the financial crisis that we're in, you know, we'll get through it. We always do. As you know, and as you and Rich know, we always get through all these things. We just have to have that capacity to breathe, to reflect, and to be our own leaders, to be our own guides. We have to kind of show up for ourselves because nobody else is going to show up for us. You know, it's, it's, it's our moment. We need to be here for ourselves. And then as we are here for ourselves, we are then able to be there for others. But first, we have to be our own guide. Definitely. That's really beautifully expressed. Yeah, I would have to say that I am I am not afraid. I am not afraid. Uh, I dedicate my life to the evolution of humanity, and I accept my my life as it is presented to me in that devotion. And I don't like anyone suffering. I don't like humanity suffering. I don't like loved ones suffering. I don't want to suffer. <laughs> How much pain is experienced before another force comes in? How can I channel prayers and meditations and techniques that can connect us with our greater soul so that we can make this passage seamlessly, you know, more seamless? I have been uh, in my community in Water Tiger. I've been opening up those energetic pathways and Again, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And so never before has it been more intelligent to develop your connection with source and develop your connection with that which is unseen. Because we're seeing now in our world that there is no security in these things that we thought gave us security. And uh, I just want to give a shout out to Dom and her as being really one of the epicenters of, of this cultivation of a spiritual community. Okay. As we see ourselves on the brink of creating a new earth and understanding that communities are going to become more important. We're needing to rely on our neighbors, on our fellow brothers and sisters to co-create. And I think in expanded ways and Dominher was founded by a being named Oberto Aidaui and his name in the community was Falco. He's a, a being with memory, uh, how he described himself, but he founded and created a spiritual community that has lasted over 45 years in Northern Italy. And part of their offering, they built temples to humanity inside a mountain in secret with buckets and shovels with an original 50 people. I had the great honor of taking Justin there and we had a private tour together it's indescribable. I can't really describe it until you walk in the mountain and then you're like, oh, yeah. oh my goodness. I don't even like telling people um, about it because it's so, too hard uh, to describe. 
Right. And I mean, the fact that they did it with buck, bucks yeah. and shovels, it's just like, you know, I finally got my family to agree to family chores for two hours every day. <laughs> and like, that was a whole thing, you know? So, I mean, I'm just like, I'm on my knees, just bowing yeah. to Falco, like on a daily basis. Like he is the master of community. And the fact that they've existed and lasted over 45 years, I mean, that's, mm. it's just wondrous. And because they're in Northern Italy, because a lot of their population are old, Older. They're over 60. You know, they are finding a lot of challenges right now. They're also on the verge of expanding, spreading their teachings global, which are celebrating diversity. They are free of any isms, any dogma. They have devotional stained glass altars to every single tradition that ever existed on this planet in any corner. Um, they are connected with the trees, with nature, celebrating diversity. There is not this judgment or clamping down. It's a very, very open society. And, and you know, we have a lot to learn from them. I mean, they're certainly who I'm looking to and who I have looked to for 15 years. So on our advice, Americans that are connected with Dom and Her, friends of Dom and Her have created a foundational offering platform where people can donate to help them to sustain these temples. They are uh, considered the eighth wonder of the world by the Italian government. Anybody can go there once this quarantine gets lifted. But anyway, the website is domenher.com slash foundation. If that's not correct for some reason, just Google Domenher Foundation and you can find the link to donate. It's a beautiful, beautiful community and they have a brand new website with a lot of information and teachings and I did a global meditation with them on this very powerful full moon last weekend. And anyway, so all of your support is greatly appreciated. Just reminded me one thing actually about, you know, the kind of community that we sit in. I've noticed something recently. I've been on a call once a week with a bunch of therapists in Europe, and we've just been talking about how people are feeling and what they're noticing. And there's a constant trend that we've noticed that people who arrived at this point with some skills, whether it's, you know, they've been in therapy, they've learned to meditate, they've done some work with spiritual beings like you, they've had some capacity to understand better about themselves, are so much better equipped than people who may not have been in those situations. Because for a lot of people, they've arrived at this crisis, and they may have had, you know, a perfect life up until this moment. So all of a sudden, the rug has been pulled. So I think it's important for people who have suffered previously in their lives, and they've taken the time to do a little bit of work in themselves, a little bit of therapy or breathing exercises or yoga, or Pilates, just the connection into the body is so important right now. And I've definitely noticed working with clients myself, and again, within this collective European group of therapists, that those who have those tools are just navigating this a little bit easier than those who are now trying to find some resource. Yeah, definitely. I mean, no one is more or less spiritual than anyone else. It is a choice and a potential that can be developed at any time. So don't feel like you're behind the curve. If you haven't really put any time into it, just now's the moment. You could take a perspective that you're much more efficient than I am or Justin is because you waited till right now when all the energies are, are working to support your expansion. So um, this is just really such an honor. And, you know, I love, I love you, you Justin, you and just Beatrice and Luca and 
I'm grateful that you're alive on the planet and thank you for all your counsel and care and friendship thank for you. me and my and family. Same for you and you guys. You've, you've been incredible. And I think this opportunity now where you're sharing is is so important for, for your community and, and broader society. So thank you. Beloved podcast family, until next time, I'm sending you so much love and grace. And remember that even if no one else believes in you, I believe in you to find your way into living your most expanded life. How could it be otherwise? You are an emanation of God. Be well and may grace and beauty surround us all. Namaste. Namaste.